Well, good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you today. Good morning to those of you who are watching online this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be together as Jesus makes us family. It's good to be together as family today. Well, you know, perhaps the most well-known and often quoted verse of Scripture is John 3.16. Now, as I say John 3.16, I imagine there are some in this room who have that verse memorized firmly in their minds. There may be others who, as we look at it and say it, may be like, oh, yeah, that's, I'm kind of familiar with that. I, I didn't know specifically where it came from, but, but, but now I know. And there may be those who are like, you know what, I've never really heard that verse before. This is the first time. I hope that amongst those who are here this morning and amongst those who are watching online, that there's somebody who fits into every one of those categories. It's a good thing. But perhaps it would be good for us to just read this verse of Scripture Together, So we're going to put it up on the screen now. Some of you may have it memorized, so you're like, oh, don't need the words on the screen, Pastor, that's good. For those of you who do, it'll be up on the screen. So let's read together John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. A lot of folks say that the entire gospel is summarized right in that single verse from John 3.16. Whoever believes in him. Belief is an important theme of all of Scripture. It's an important word throughout the New Testament, and it's especially an important word in the gospel according to John. What does it mean to believe? And how does one come to believe? Well, these are some of the key questions that we are asking today as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John. And in fact, we hear within the Gospel of John this believing word a lot. And we hear it stated as the whole reason that John wrote the Gospel in the first place. From John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, this is what it says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As I said, this word believe shows up a lot in the New Testament, over 240 times in the entire New Testament. But guess how many times it shows up in the Gospel of John? 95 times. I think we might be on to something when he says that he wrote the book so that people would believe. Because it's a theme that comes up again and again and again. It's a powerful word. And it's from this perspective of belief that we approach chapter 3 of John. Because that one verse, John 3.16, has a context. Has a context within a, a passage and a story. Has a context within that gospel, within the New Testament, within the whole Bible. And that's how we love to approach Scripture, is to make sure that we're learning the whole story of Scripture. That's why we've been on our Route 66 journey this year. Going through the Old Testament, moving on into the New Testament to learn this story, to appreciate and, and embrace it as it is our story as well. So with that, I'm going to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to start reading right at the beginning of John chapter 3. If you brought your Bibles with, that's wonderful. If you got it on your phone or tablet, that's great too. If not, you can listen along as I read. Here we go. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is described as a Pharisee. Now, what's a Pharisee? Maybe if you've been in church for a while, you may have heard discussion or talk about Pharisees before. I want to try and cast Pharisees in a little different light today, because most of the time when you hear about Pharisees, it's put as like the absolute worst possible thing that anybody could ever be. But I want you to understand some things in perspective and context about Pharisees. Imagine the best religious person you have ever met. Someone who knows the Bible cover to cover and is devoted to practicing everything it teaches. This would be a good description of a Pharisee. Somebody who takes their life as a follower of God seriously, who wants to learn from the scriptures and who wants to get it right. A Pharisee would spend three years intensely studying scripture and then went to great lengths to apply it specifically and literally to every aspect of life. And not just as it's written in the scriptures, but as additional writings were put alongside of those writings to help describe and explain how to live this life. Let me give you an example. Exodus chapter 16, the second half of verse 29 says this. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to go out? What does it mean to stay in? The seventh day is the Sabbath day, and there was a great deal of teaching in particular about how to live the Sabbath correctly. 
So the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, those who were the teachers of the law, went to great lengths to describe specifically how it is that you were to stay in and not go out. It meant staying at home. How did you stay at home? Well, it meant that you couldn't travel more than 1,000 yards from your home. On the Sabbath, you were forbidden from traveling more than 1,000 yards from your home. Okay? But what if you wanted to go further? Well, here's what you do. The day before the Sabbath, you would go and bring a store of food. Some food that you had prepared, not on the Sabbath, because you weren't allowed to prepare food on the Sabbath. But you would prepare this ahead of time. You would bring it out a thousand yards from your home and place it somewhere. Now, when the Sabbath rolled around and you walked out that thousand yards to where your food was, guess what? It was now a part of your home. And you could travel another thousand yards past that. This is just one of the many interpretations and rules that were put in place to describe specifically what it was you could do or could not do. There were rules like this for everything, from cooking to cleaning to tying knots, based especially on what you could or could not do on the Sabbath. This is what Nicodemus would have been trained in, deeply and intently. And Nicodemus has seen this Jesus, has heard about this Jesus, and he's coming with some questions. And as he comes to see Jesus, he says to him, and I'm paraphrasing here, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, and we've had our eye on you. We've been watching you to see what you're all about. Ah, yes. Nicodemus, speaking about we. Nicodemus is alone. There's nobody with Nicodemus. But Nicodemus has invoked his invisible army. Now I say this because anybody who has ever been in church leadership or been in business leadership or been in any other kind of leadership knows all about the invisible army. This is the person who comes to your office and says, Pastor, I would like to talk to you because, well, there's a lot of people who have been talking about this, and we have some real concerns. And I have been elected spokesman. Ah, yes, the invisible army. And just like Jesus, every wise leader knows, you never pick a fight with an invisible army. So Jesus doesn't respond specifically to what Nicodemus says. We have been watching you. And how does Jesus reply? Well, you know what, Nicodemus? You think you've seen me, but you really haven't. Because nobody sees the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that term born again, it's a Greek word, anothen. And it means born again. It also means born from above. So it had a dual meaning, and Nicodemus would have understood that, and Jesus would have understood it as he was saying it. But it was still plenty confusing to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus, like any great scholar and wise person, looks and hears Jesus say this born-again thing and goes, Huh? What? What are you talking about? 
Nobody can enter back into their mother's womb and be born again. I don't get it. So Jesus goes on to simply say it again with a little more detail. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. There is natural birth and there is supernatural birth. And they share some amazing things in common. And that's why Jesus is directing things this way. And as he talks and as he explains to Nicodemus, Nicodemus still isn't getting it. He just doesn't understand. And Jesus then looks to Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel. You're the rabbi. You're the one who is supposed to understand these things, yet you don't grasp them. What could Jesus have been referring to? Well, there's a famous passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 28, that I want to share with you today that puts a point on what Jesus would have been directing back to Nicodemus. And it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. In hearing that passage, how much of you are a part of what that passage is saying? You're completely passive. It's all the first person, and the first person who is declaring it is God himself. God is the one who does these things. God is the one who brings about this new birth. God is the one who brings about bringing his spirit to live within you. God is the one who does the purifying. It's God's work. And that's so important to remember. Because, friends, being a born-again believer is a supernatural work of God, not your work. You don't become a part of the kingdom of God through a natural birth, but only through a spiritual rebirth. And from this second birth, you will come into God's kingdom Become a child of God and live from his eternal life. Now, what does this mean for us? Here's the thing. Every person in this room shares something in common. I can say it unequivocally. You ready for it? Everybody in this room was born. Every one of us. None of you popped up from the soil. None of you were dropped off by the stork. Every one of you was born. And here's the other thing that we all have in common. You were a completely passive participant in being born. You had virtually nothing to do with it other than being there. Now, what does this mean? See, listen, if I asked you, how were you born? You may reply by giving me some details about where you were born, what year you were born, 
maybe about your family of origin. But none of you would say, you know, Pastor, one day, after considering the benefits and drawbacks and doing considerable research into the subject, I believed that being born was a good idea. So I decided to do it, and here I am. None of you would say that. It would be absurd to say that about your natural birth. It's just as absurd to say it about your supernatural birth. You being born again is a work of God in your life. Your natural birth happened naturally and your supernatural birth happened supernaturally at the hand of God. Listen, you didn't become a born-again believer because of your parents. You didn't become a born-again believer because you go to church. You didn't become a born-again believer because you went through a ritual. You didn't become a born-again believer because you tried really hard to be a good person. Now, all of those things could be means by which the Holy Spirit uses to help you become a believer. But the work is His, not yours. And it's connected to His supernatural will. You became a believer because the Holy Spirit birthed you into a new life. And this theme of new life is all over the Scriptures. New life, a new creation, a new birth. It's everywhere. And it is meant to be an encouragement to you and to me. There is a new life, a new birth. And you get to be born into it by the Holy Spirit's work, not your own. It's a gift from God to step into this new birth, to be born again. All these things, parents, church, baptism, confirmation, and better living, can be means by which the Holy Spirit can bring you into this new life, but none of them cause you to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So what do you do with all this? What does this have to do with Nicodemus, ultimately? What does Nicodemus walk away from with this? Well, we talk here at Community of Grace about inviting first and next steps with Jesus. I believe Nicodemus shows up at Jesus' doorstep at the invitation of the Holy Spirit to come and interact with Jesus, to find out more, to explore. He may have had some views and some understandings that weren't really clear. And you know what's interesting is, as this passage closes out, Nicodemus disappears. We have these couple of quotes from Nicodemus, which are both questions. And in the end, Jesus goes into a description of what God has done by sending his one and only son. And we don't hear of Nicodemus again that evening. I don't know what happened to Nicodemus. Did he sit there after a while and just kind of walk away shaking his head going, I don't know that I know any more than I did when I got here. Or did he walk away going, I've just had an encounter that I can't explain or describe and something new has started in me. But I'm still not sure. I'm not sure what I believe. I'm not sure what I know or what I understand other than something has happened to me. The next time we catch up with Nicodemus is two times later in the story. One of those times he is back with those religious rulers and leaders. 
who are accusing Jesus of all kinds of things while Jesus isn't present. And Nicodemus stands up and says, hey, wait a second. Any one of us would have a trial where we were present and get a chance to answer the questions that are being asked. Don't we owe that to Jesus too? Sounds like someone on a journey. And then Nicodemus shows up one more time. Towards the end of the story. After Jesus has been crucified. After his body has been taken down from the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea, another one of the leaders, takes Jesus' body to place into a tomb that he owned. And with him was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, out of his own pocket, purchased all of the spices and oils and things that would be necessary for the preparation of Jesus' body. Does Nicodemus come out and say, I believe, I have been born again, I totally get it and completely understand? Not in the text, it doesn't say that. But yet we see these glimmers, these bits and pieces of this journey of belief. Because here's the thing, friends. Being born again is an event. Belief is a journey. Belief is a journey. People may come to you or you may go to other people with some really hard questions. You may have some in the back of your mind about this Christian faith, about who Jesus is, about what he means when he says these things, about what the New Testament speaks of, about what the Old Testament connection is to the New Testament. You may have tons of questions. I hope you do. But one thing I hope you never do is think that you need to hide those questions because somehow by hiding those questions, it means that you're not a believer. Not at all. The new life that has been given to you is a gift that we open our hands and receive from the Holy Spirit. And then we step into that journey of belief. Because the root word belief is the same root word as trust and faith. They come from the same word together. So to believe is to trust. And trust takes time. And trust takes being present with somebody and trust takes sometimes dealing with hard questions. But trusting Jesus and believing in him are deeply related to one another. And it takes time to trust. How can we live this out in community and taking first and next steps? Well, listen. It's good to have questions. And it's totally all right to not give easy answers. Whether you are a Bible scholar or whether you are just beginning to open up the pages of Scripture, it's okay to ask tough questions and it's okay to not have easy, quick, simple answers. Because lots of times the struggle is real to step into belief and to continue on the journey of belief. It's not being unfaithful to go, I'm just wondering about this part of the story. I don't get it. Well, take a step here at Community of Grace by being around other people who are also asking questions and learning together. You can do it in a growth group. You can do it in a connection group. You can do it in a myriad of different ways. But there are ways to be with each other on this journey to help learn and grow. And it's good. When Jesus goes to heal a lame man, he asks Jesus if he can heal him. And Jesus' response is, if I can? 
Do you believe? And the man's response is, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can you say those two things together? Well, I think if the scripture says it, you can too. And if that's a part of your journey today where you're going, Lord, I believe, but there are things that I'm having a hard time believing. Help me, Lord. Help me, Holy Spirit. Empower my faith to help me grow and learn and follow you. That's the journey. That's the message of belief. Begin that part of your journey here. Find ways to step in to connection with other people. Because sometimes when you're struggling, you can borrow somebody else's faith to help you in your journey, to walk that journey together as a follower and a questioner, born again on a journey of belief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this journey is real. This journey through the scriptures is teaching us, Father, to not only learn of you, but to ask questions when we don't know. And Father, I'm grateful that no matter how many times we hear this story, and we hear the story of Nicodemus, Lord, that you give us an opportunity to open up to our own questions, to bring ourselves before you, Jesus, and say, Jesus, I've been watching you, but I'm still not sure about some of these things. And that you, Jesus, graciously meet us in those places. And that you have sent your Holy Spirit to give us new life. To give us a life from above. And to help empower us by your Spirit to believe. Lord, if you need to do that first work of a new birth in someone's life today, Lord... I pray that at the sound of hearing your voice, Jesus, your Holy Spirit would enter them and they would be transformed and born again. And Lord, for those in this room who have already experienced that initial new birth, but have walked this journey of belief, sometimes stumbling, sometimes tripping, sometimes walking strongly, Lord, I pray that you would meet them in their journey inviting them to come and see as you reveal yourself to them and teach them to obey everything that you have commanded. Jesus, help us live in the tension of that reality today and always for ourselves, for this church, for the community around us, that it would truly be a community of grace. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.